a Podcast One production. Welcome to Allergies, where Professors Katie Allen and Mimi Tang from the Murdoch Children's Research Institute break down in detail the diagnosis, management, prevention and cure of allergies, as well as the facts and myths about intolerances and treating other diseases like asthma and eczema. Learning to travel with your allergies can help ease stress when planning a holiday. In this episode, Professors Katie and Mimi take us through the preventative measures we can take when travelling with allergies. But one thing that I wanted to ask, which is more of a personal thing, which I'm sure a lot of people can relate to, but my brother and his wife have just had a beautiful baby girl. Mm -hmm. His wife has a fairly bad peanut allergy. Now, we've talked about introducing the foods in infants, but if one of the parents have a severe uh, peanut allergy... Is there a certain method we have to follow to ensure we can introduce the food without the parent getting sick? So that, that's a really good question that um, we've um, changed our advice 180 degrees about. So in the past, it was avoid, avoid, avoid. And now it's do not avoid, do not avoid, do not avoid. So mothers who are pregnant or breastfeeding, uh, irrespective of whether they had a history of anaphylaxis themselves or they have a family history, um, should eat the food that they, uh, so that they can actually expose their child in utero potentially to train the immune system so they don't develop the food allergy. Um, And in fact, this area, the guidelines area in America, they've tried to manage that those who have a family history maybe should be more careful. And the Australian guidelines have said that's just silly. You don't need to be um, avoiding a food Um, because you've got a family history at all. And so all the recommendations we talked about before about weaning your child onto um, foods such as peanut and egg and cow's milk in the first year of life after they've started solids applies irrespective of whether you yourself in the mother has a food allergy or there's a sibling with a food allergy or there's a family history of food allergy anaphylaxis. So we're just saying the most important thing is to give a small amount of um, food to your infant slowly, increasing slowly. And the safest way to do that is start off slow and small. And then if they do have a reaction, it'll be more likely to be a mild reaction. Because we know that the testing that we do doesn't predict who will have an allergy or not, but the dose that people get um, can predict how severe the allergy is. So if they have a small amount, they're less likely to have a severe reaction. So that's why when we talk about exposing infants to food, um, and it doesn't matter whether they've got an allergy or not, you always start off small. So if there are traces of the peanut on the baby and the mum wants to kiss and cuddle her, will that spark any sort of reaction? Yeah, so, um, I mean, people can put um, peanut butter onto skin and, they, and, the, and it's kind of like a skin prick test that we talked about before. You can actually cause a little bit of a wheel. So if you touch, if you've got an allergy and you touch it on the skin, you can get a reaction, but that won't be a life-threatening, what's extremely unlikely if you know, not to be a life-threatening reaction. So the simplest way to put it is you can't sit on a peanut butter sandwich and have anaphylaxis. Yep. Now, of course, there's always exceptions to every rule in health. We know that, that they're called rare case studies. Um, and there are some very celebrated cases from around the world where there are exceptions to the rule. So uh, one exception was a teenager who was French kissing her boyfriend who just had a peanut butter sandwich and then she did die from anaphylaxis, but then she'd ingested some of the food from his mouth because mm-hmm. they were French kissing. Um, but, in, in you know, the whole the whole issue is that a skin reaction is not life-threatening. And so you may have a reaction. If you have a reaction, if it's touched on the skin, then you should go and see your doctor. So there are some 
um, child maternal health nurses who will say, why don't you do a little smear on the cheek? Um, we don't really recommend that because it's it's not really helpful because we know some people who have a smear can eat the food, mm-hmm. have a reaction can eat, the, you know, a skin reaction can eat the food and some can't. But um, if you were very nervous, I suppose that would be a fair enough thing to say, Mimi. Some people do. do some people do do that, but I think you know it brings us back to our discussions during the diagnosis session um, podcast that we did earlier. And I think what Katie's referring to is really important to just pause on. That being that the presence of a positive skin test reaction or a positive skin reaction to the food when it touches you doesn't necessarily mean you're allergic. So Katie just said that, but we should really just pause on that and emphasise that. Um, specifically what I mean by that is if a parent rubs it on the skin of a child and a rash develops, it doesn't actually mean the baby will necessarily be allergic. So we are actually encouraging families to introduce all foods into the baby's diet from around six months of age and not before four months in order to um, optimise the chances they'll become tolerant to that food and the best way to know is to actually feed that food to determine if the baby is actually allergic or not. And just because it, it's having a reaction on the skin doesn't necessarily mean that baby is allergic. Mm. And there are some adult allergists who um, recommend that for people who are adults with food allergy, if they go to a restaurant and they're not absolutely sure if the food is safe, is to just try a little bit on their lips to see if their lips tingle. Um, it's not a foolproof way of making sure they don't have a reaction, but it's sometimes that's what people do recommend if they're very exquisitely sensitive to certain foods. As the child grows and the allergies continue to develop, I guess one issue is the quality of life that affects families when they try to travel. Yeah. Uh, There are a lot of risk factors that we've spoken about when we take public transport and travelling, and I guess flying is a really big one because when we travel by air, we're sort of locked in a cabin. Well, actually, I have a story about that because I do have a peanut allergy. Oh. Hmm. And um, said that at the start. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and I was on the plane uh, once on the way home from Singapore, and I, I can eat all other nuts but peanuts. And um, I got on and had a little Toblerone, a little mini Toblerone at the end of my meal. I'd had a glass of wine, a little Toblerone at the end of my meal, and I popped it in my mouth and ate it. And then I burped, and I could smell peanut. And I thought holy smoke, Toblerone usually has almond, it doesn't have peanut. Mm. And I looked at the packet and it says contain peanut. And I was sitting there thinking, I don't have an EpiPen, I don't know if the plane has an EpiPen, and I'm literally in a sardine tin 30,000 feet up in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. Oh, my goodness. Now, luckily, I just had a mild reaction. I didn't have anaphylaxis, but I'd, and I'd had a glass of alcohol, so it did make me panic quite badly. Um, that what Katie's referring to there is alcohol can make your reactions more severe. Mm. Oh. So, you know, it was not a good place for me. It's probably the only time I've thought this is not a good place uh, to have a bad reaction. So, understandably, parents do worry about travelling on a plane. Um, now, I, I sat on the National Academy of Sciences um, global panel on food allergy in the US and uh, we went through all of the individual uh, airline aviation or aviation guidelines um, and there was huge debate about how careful we have to be on aeroplanes um, and one, on one side we've got consumers who really would like you know nuts banned completely from planes um, but on the other hand as we've spoken to you um, there are so many different food allergies uh, is that fair if you ban nuts but then you don't ban cow's milk? What if someone's got a really exquisitely sensitive cow's milk allergy? So it's a bit like in the school environment. Um, I think as allergists, we don't think banning is going to help. There has been one very celebrated case about a child, not a child, a young 
uh, actually not even that young, an adult dying on an aeroplane and that was written up as a fatality associated with food allergy anaphylaxis and Mimi might have a different view on this but my view is I don't, I'm not absolutely convinced that person did die of peanut anaphylaxis. So what happened was a bag of peanuts was opened and I think it was the row behind someone developed respiratory distress so they started to cough and wheeze um, and then they developed severe significant distress and then died of respiratory arrest. And I've spoken to the allergist who investigated the case in the US and he said, we measured peanut uh, allergen in the air in the air vents of the aeroplane. So that is evidence that that person died of peanut-induced anaphylaxis. Um, and the idea is that the peanut allergen was aerosolized and then under pressure and this person inhaled it and that's why they died. Um, now, the one way to look at it is, yes, that may have been a case. It's an ex- might have been an exquisitely sensitive person. The flip side of it is how many bags of peanuts have been opened on planes, or tree nuts for that matter, um, and how many, you know, literally tens or hundreds of thousands of peanut allergic passengers have been in planes in that experience and not had a reaction. So even if it was a true case, it's a very, very rare case. Um, and it's it's too hard to monitor. I think just banning peanuts is ridiculous because there's all sorts of other allergies as well. Um, and the most important thing is um, making sure the child doesn't eat the food because that's, that's the, the best way to keep them safe. So if you can bring your own food or you get special food that's peanut or nut free or allergen free, then that's a good way to go. Yeah. So I think there have actually been studies now looking to see where the peanut allergen might be coming from. And it's quite possible that this person may have had some contamination on their tray table or something like that, because the studies are suggesting that the most likely source of contamination for peanut for someone on a plane is the tray table, which could have remnants of previous peanut butter or other peanut meals on it. And so, I mean, as Katie said, one of the things you'd want to do is maybe plan ahead. Mm -hmm. Um, You can certainly plan in terms of getting on board first, wiping down the table to be sure that your space that's around you is cleared to your satisfaction. Because it's, I agree with Katie, I think it's pretty unlikely that someone will get into a serious Um, reaction as a result of someone else opening a bag of peanuts. It's most likely that the the person who's peanut allergic, for them to have a reaction, they would have to eat it in some way, whether from a contamination of their tray table or eating food. Touching their hand and their hand going in their mouth. And and it's the same with schools, you know, you sort of say to children, once they get to an an age like the age of five, um, if they can, you know, if you've got something stickier in your hands... It could be dog poo. Don't put your hands in your mouth. Wash them. You know, you don't know what it is. So if there's something that's unidentified in your fingers that's sticky, then don't put it in your mouth to see what it is. And so there are simple ways to keep kids safe and, and, and adults safe, and that means wiping down tray tables, having allergen-free meals. Now, I have to say in Australia, I don't think there are allergen-free meals available, and that's something that's quite concerning. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other thing is um, on our um, US National Academy of Sciences committee, um, we recommended, in fact, it was my suggestion that um, uh, airline stewards um, are actually trained in recognising um, anaphylaxis and then working out how and when to give uh, adrenaline auto-injector. Mm-hmm. Now, they already um, have compulsory first aid training, so it's not a lot of extra things to do to add um, to their training. And then if every aeroplane has adrenaline auto-injectors and the staff are trained how and when to use it, then that's a good solution. Do, that's that's the other do thing. they have, sorry, do they already have yeah. EpiPens on board? Yeah, in America, that's that is now the uh, legislated recommendation. N- not internationally, though. Many planes do not carry no. them. But oh. it is moving in the right direction, and that's, it. that's the issue, is that the, yeah. what happens with the US is usually becomes the world standard and others follow. So we're mm. looking, I think, to having a global standard, which is 
But to that point, that. I mean, something for parents and families to do would be to make sure they bring their own medications yes. on board. I mean, learning from Katie Allen's little mistake, <laughs> um, it would be important for families who do happen to already have an EpiPen prescribed for their child to bring that EpiPen with them on the flight and to have other medications like um, non-sedating antihistamines with them because you may get caught out where an accident happens and you don't want to be up in the air without your medication. Mm. And, and it was worth mentioning that the Australian Society, Australasian Society, of Clinical Immunology and Allergy, or ASCIA, does have travel plans um, that your allergist will fill out for you. Um, it's an allergy and anaphylaxis action plan, um, and it provides a doctor's certificate to say that this adrenaline auto-injector needs to come on the plane with the passenger, um, and that is um, accepted by um, the security officers so that you can get it onto the into the cabin, not just in your luggage where it's not going to be much use. The other thing about planning ahead, um, not just medications, getting the letter from your doctor would be to be sure to have health insurance when you're flying, going to a separate country, um, to be sure that you are covered should you have an allergic reaction when you're in the midst of travelling in that country and have access to the best care. And oh, the other thing actually that's quite useful is for people to um, get the uh, the allergen um, or, you know, the food that they're allergic to translated in the language so that they can read the labels. So mm. er, in, in Germany, for instance, peanut is erdnuss and, or erdnuss, so you may not know that. So it's important to un- be able to identify what you are and are not eating. If you're going to Europe or the US, you'll be fine because um, they all have legislation, international legislation, about naming uh, mandatory labelling of packages. So as long as you can speak the language, and in Europe, actually, I think all the packages, fortunately or unfortunately, have six or seven uh, languages on them, so you almost always find English, and of course America has English, so you probably don't even really need to do that in Europe. And actually in Europe now, they have labelling where restaurants need to um, uh, state every food that's in a a dish. Uh, And in fact, I got called by the BBC because uh, the uh, sophisticated three Michelin hat chefs were up in arms because they didn't want to reveal their secret sauce, (laughs) the ingredients of their secret sauce. And so they didn't want this legislation to go through. But of course, you know, it's not very fair to an allergen sufferer. Yeah, so actually on that point, it is important for people to remain vigilant, if not more so, about allergen avoidance. So not just reading the labels, but, you know, especially if you're travelling to Asia where there may be less strict rules around declaring ingredients within food. So as Katie said, we're lucky in Europe, the UK and America, there are um, legislated guidelines um, for you to have to declare the allergen if it's an ingredient in the food as what it is. We talked about that in another episode. It has to be egg, milk, wheat, soy, irrespective of what component of those foods is included as an ingredient. But these um, rules aren't really at that same level in Asia Mm -hmm. or Africa. Africa, Mm -hmm. And there's much more um, of a risk for... Or Latin America. In most of the developing countries, basically, these legislations are not present. Uh, The reverse is true... um, with food importing. So uh, if I have a patient who's got a problem, the um, or, you know, has an adverse reaction to some foods that they've eaten, um, I'll always ask, uh, has it been imported from Asia? Because um, their manufacturing guidelines are not as strict as ours and um, that's a, a more likely problem of contamination. Uh, but the other thing worth, worth mentioning now that we're talking about Asian food, whether you're going to Asia and eating it or whether Asian food is being imported or you're eating Asian food locally, is most people don't understand the difference between uh, the nut oils and nut pastes or nuts themselves. 
themselves. So um, people are not allergic to the oils. So nut oils, peanut oil um, and all sorts of oils that are used in cooking are, are fine for peanut allergic sufferers as long as that oil is clear because the protein makes the food cloudy and so or an oil cloudy so there are cold pressed oils so you know bespoke peanut oils that are cloudy and they have the protein in them the, the cloudiness is the protein but if it's a clear oil um, in theory you should be able to eat it um, so if you're peanut allergic you can eat peanut oils however in Asian restaurants often they use peanut oils and cook peanut in the peanut oil and they may actually um, change the dishes through those oils. So you you have to be careful. But if you're buying an oil into yeah. your house, it's absolutely fine for you yeah. to eat peanut oils for all intents really and purposes. Yeah. The mm. point being that you know, you can, you're not actually allergic to the oil content, you're allergic to the protein, which can be contaminating some of these oil products. When we're travelling, is there any medication that we can take beforehand to reduce... I would not recommend or it. tolerance? I, I would not recommend it. I think you're better off getting on board and... Uh, the most likely thing is you won't have an allergic reaction. So um, be vigilant, wipe down the tray table, have your own snacks, um, and you can have your medications with you if you need them. Mm. We don't usually recommend treating something before it happens. Mm. So you'd wait. But, but there's nothing you can take, really like a useful. car sickness, you know, like a car sickness no, tablet. There's nothing. No. no, no. Take. Um, but what would be really useful is make sure you take an allergy action plan, and if you wanted to take one in your pocket, you could take... Allergy pal. Allergy pal. Allergy pal. So in summary, what are the preventative guidelines we can follow? Yeah, so the Australasian Society of Clinical Immunology and Allergy have published guidelines for prevention of allergic disease, including food allergies. And we would recommend breastfeeding for as long as possible, um, preferably for at least six months, and preferably whilst introducing solids into the diet. To then, secondly, introduce solids into the diet from around six months, but not before four months when the baby's ready. And this would include all the allergenic foods as well as um, the standard foods that babies would have. So in particular, we recommend introducing peanut before 12 months of age and egg before eight months of age. And this is for everybody, irrespective of whether they might have eczema themselves or a family history of food allergy, as Katie mentioned earlier. Really, in terms of the other guidelines, um, it's about what you don't have to worry about. So we touched upon very early on that mums who are pregnant or breastfeeding do not need to avoid a food for fear of it causing allergy in their baby. There's no evidence of this and so we encourage um, that we should not avoid anything as a pregnant mum or um, a breastfeeding mum. Um, there is some guidance for other allergic diseases around not smoking during pregnancy and not being exposed to cigarette smoke during um, early childhood, and that's related more to wheezing illness in children. Look, you can't enjoy a holiday with the burden of your allergies in the back of your mind. Take the steps towards stress-free travel by getting the right cover with Allergy Pal. To find out more and to register your interest, head to mcriallergypal.com.au forward slash travel. Allergies was presented by Professor Katie Allen and Professor Mimi Tang and was produced by me, Matt Dwyer, with audio production by Darcy Thompson. Join us in our next episode because we talk about the future of allergies and what research is available in relation to a cure. For more apps, go to podcastone.com.au or download the Podcast One app and listen for free.